Hey, welcome to a Zion People podcast. I am Keelan, an intern at Zion Church, and this is our latest message. The team here hope the message challenges you, inspires you, but most of all, builds your faith. Enjoy the message. Two people I want to talk about today. Bible, Bible characters, just in case you're looking around, Kate. I hope it's not me. <laughs> and I want to contrast them. And I don't know which order to do it in now. Because I'm going to contrast King Saul with young David. And if you read the Bible, you know the stories. And I just want to highlight some things. Because ultimately, I feel like we need to stir an atmosphere of faith, which is what we've just done. So there was the punchline. We need to stir an atmosphere of faith in order that we would face the opposition, to face the challenge, to face what's in front of us, the walls of Jericho. We need to face them in faith. And you've just activated faith. But when we contrast the life of King Saul with young David, we see two ways we could choose to live. And I want to contrast it this morning um, because I feel like there's a risk that some of us, me included, are inclined towards behaving like King Saul. And it didn't end well for him. And I want to call it out. And as I've been preparing this, I've been preaching to myself. Because I've noticed lately a tendency in me to do some of the things that King Saul did. And there's faith in the room. I hope you're at home shouting at your screen in faith, and raising a hallelujah for wherever you are. You can face opposition in faith, but we've got a choice. We've got a choice. So, notes or no notes? Um, the truth is, the challenges we face, um, they don't make us who we are. All they do is reveal who we are. What's on the outside reveals what's on the inside. I used to spend a lot of my time in business uh, helping, coaching people to become millionaires financially. It was, it was what I did. And uh, everyone's got different goals, everyone's got a different pathway, and my job was just really get them on that pathway and help them to tick off a couple of goals. And I was real clear in how I did that and saying to people, money doesn't make you. All it does is reveal you. Because when you've got a lot of money, it exposes you. And so what's more important is not the balance sheet, it's the heart. And I'm, I'm working through some things in my life at the moment. I'm working through things around me. And I'm working and walking through things with other people. And what I'm discovering is the challenges we face reveal us. They expose us. And uh, I've got an analogy, and it's not that pretty. But I was speaking with someone the other day about the challenges he's facing. And look, there's, 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 there's a long list of them. You know, some people are facing um, uncertainty, and, 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 and they don't know what the next step is. Um, some people are facing financial challenges. Some people are facing major decisions they've got to make. There's a bunch of pressure in families because of 2020, let's just call it that. Um, and, and that means that you know, kids, are, kids are shaking with uncertainty and anxiety because of what they're experiencing at home. 
Um, some people are fighting mental health and depression and anxiety issues. That's rife in our community. Some people are facing relational challenges. Um, some people are under spiritual attacks. Some people are under confusion. So pick the list, you know. You can take as many as you like, but um, these challenges, they reveal us. And the analogy that I was sharing with someone as I was helping them this week in response to last week's message was, you know, kind of like, I said this, I said, life is like a zit. A big, ugly, fat zit. And you can choose how you deal with your zit. Like, you can ignore it, and everyone can see it. But I believe these challenges look like a zit. God squeezes us. And when we squeeze, the ugly comes out. Is that true? True for a zit. But you've got to squeeze it to get the ugly out. And then you've got to get rid of the ugly so it can heal. Life's like a zit. This is my wisdom for you today. So let's squeeze it. What, what I'm saying is the challenges you face, life and what you're, you're going through or what you're up against, it doesn't make you who you are or it doesn't de- define who you are. It reveals who you are. But sometimes you've got to squeeze out the ugly to allow God to bring healing. And I'm all for confrontation, so I don't like to avoid the squeezing because I want the healing. But if you run away from the squeezing, you're running away from the healing. Opposition is, is, is going to come. Challenges and trials are going to come. Life is going to deal some stuff. It's not a bed of roses. We've got to allow God to do his healing work. And, and I, I see this in the life of King Saul. And... Um, he, he, he gets uh, anointed by the prophet Samuel. It's in 1 Samuel from uh, about 10 onwards. You can read it. We probably should turn there. Like, I'm really searching for what God wants to do today. Because he wants to do some healing after he does some squeezing. In 1 Samuel 13, Where's that? Saul was 30 years old, it says, when he became king, and he reigned for 42 years. He selects some armies, army troops, and he heads off with his son, Jonathan, who was his right-hand man, and they go into battle, 1 Samuel 13. Jonathan deals to the enemy. Good job. And the Philistines get annoyed, so they turn up with as many soldiers as there is sand on the seashore. That's not literal, That's just the writer saying, it was a really, really big number that I can't count. More opposition than you can handle. And Saul, it says in verse, where am I? Six and seven, down to verse seven, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited for seven days as Samuel had instructed him. But then Samuel didn't turn up the way he thought he was going to turn up. So Saul realized his troops were slipping away 
So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offerings himself. Now, this sounds a good thing. We will offer a sacrifice unto the Lord, for he is worthy of our praise, and we need him in the battle. Samuel turns up, and he's like, what have you done? Literal, it's there, right, in verse 10. No, 11. Samuel's like, what have you done? It's not Samuel's best line, by the way, that's coming. What have you done? See, Saul's facing an opposition, an army that's covering the ground, and he panics. And instead of, look at this, it's in the text, point to the text, Saul waited in verse 8, as Samuel had instructed him, but he didn't fulfill the instructions. The reference there, so the experts tell me, is back in verse chapter 10 and verse 8. Just flick the page backwards or swipe it, whatever you're doing. Samuel had said to Saul, go down to Gilgal ahead of me and I will join you and sacrifice burnt offerings. You must wait until I arrive to give you the instruction. I'm thinking and working through stuff this week and I'm praying for people and with people and I'm like, you know what? I reckon God's already given most of you the answers. Two pages earlier. Just flick the page back. What did God already tell me? Because your instruction is in that. Because when you're facing an opposition, when you're facing a challenge, there's a moment of a challenge there where the inside is revealed. And Saul has his insides revealed. And he fails the test. How do you know that? Chapter 13. What are you doing? Says Samuel. Well, you know, I panicked. So I thought, I felt compelled. I felt I should offer the offering myself. You egg. Samuel says. You fool. You have, not the command, you have not kept the command of the Lord. Had you kept it, the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom must end. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. There's a challenge, an opposition. There's a squeezing going on. Ugly comes out. And Saul says, uh -uh. I'll do what I feel that I need to do. This is a lack of faith. When you don't do what God's already said, it means you don't believe what God's already said. A lack of faith is not knowing what God said. It's knowing that he will do what he said. Don't tell me you've got faith when you proclaim the scriptures, when you proclaim the promises of God, if you don't believe he will do it. Because faith is not believing God can do it. Faith is believing God will do it. Saul, you egg. I already said, and here you are. I feel like some of you need to change the way you pray. 
Firstly, you should stop asking God and checking what he already told you because he might be silent because he's already given you the answer. And it might be hidden for you to discover. It might be a little bit that you need some help, you know, because we're not called to walk alone. We're called to walk with others. But God might have already told you what to do. Others of you need to change the way you pray instead of saying, well, I hope God comes through. God, I believe you. If it's your will, would you come through? Well, that's not faith. Not faith at all. Just start praying what God's already said. I am the Lord, your God, and I am with you. I will come and bring a deliverer who will heal you. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. These are the words of God. There's no ambiguity in those. Lack of faith reveals lack of character. And God's all about squeezing, so the ugly comes out. Not because he loves, takes joy in your ugliness being shown to everyone, but so that can be removed in order that you might be healed and transformed. Saul had an opportunity for that. And he failed the test. And you know, lately I'm like, this is my prayer life. I'm like, Lord, am I failing the test? What is it that you've said? Am I praying the right prayers? Am I asking the right questions? Am I waiting like you've told me to? Because Samuel was told, to, Saul was told to wait. What makes King Saul a really good example for us, or for me, <laughs> is he gives us the fortunate blessing, we could say, of doing it again. Next page. So 1 Samuel, chapter 15. One day, Samuel, who was the prophet, said to Saul, It was the Lord who told me to anoint you as king of people of Israel. Now listen to this message from the Lord. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies has declared. I have decided to settle accounts with the nation of Amalek for opposing Israel when they came from Egypt. Now go and completely destroy the entire Amalek nation. Men, women, children, babies. I mean, this is horrid. You think Netflix is bad? Like God's going in there saying, kill the babies, kill the women, kill everyone, annihilate them, and leave none. That's pretty clear, right? Verse 7. Saul slaughtered the Amalekites sorry, from Havilah all the way down to Shur, east of Egypt. That's a long way. He captured Agag, the Amalekite king, Amalekite king, but completely destroyed everyone else. Saul and his men spared Agag's life and kept the best of the sheep, the goats, the cattle, the fat calves, and the lambs, everything, in fact, that appealed to them. They destroyed what was worthless or poor quality. So there's the squeeze. There's the zit. Saul is a zit. Don't be like Saul. 
This is my favorite, favorite line of Samuel's. Because Samuel turns up. The Lord says, go and sort him out. So Samuel turns up, went to find Saul. Samuel finds Saul, verse 13 of, of 1 Samuel, chapter 15, verse 13. Samuel finds him, and I love this. This is not my favorite part, but I love this. He turns up, the prophet turns up, God turns up in your pre-life, and King Saul goes, hey, it's good to see you. I'm so glad you're here because I just wanted to show you what I've done. Did you ever do that as a kid? You know, like you, you tidied up the mess you'd made and mum comes in and you're like, mum, look what I did. I tidied up the mess. And she looks at you with that look that only mum can give, right? What were you doing driving my car anyway? Saul thinks he's in, in a good place. And this, this now is my favorite line. This is my favorite comeback line from the prophet Samuel. He's like, then what is all this bleating of sheep and goats and the lowing of cattle that I hear? You say you did a good thing, but I can hear sheep and goats and cows, and I shouldn't. Uh-oh. Saul is a zit. Could have had an opportunity to repent. Could have had an opportunity to be healed. Could have had an opportunity to align himself with God. And yet repeated mistakes reveal weakness of character. Weakness of character is a lack of faith. Lack of faith, God doesn't tolerate. Because he can't flow his blessings into one that has no faith. It's not that God doesn't have the goodness for us. He wants us to be able to carry it. Because if we don't have character, we can't carry what God's prepared for us. So he comes to squeeze, to reveal the ugly, to clean up the ugly in order that we could be healed, in order that we can carry what he's promised us, which is imminent. King Saul fails twice. And God says, oh, I'm sorry, bro. You, you had your chance for healing. Verse 17. Samuel says to him, although you may think little of yourself, are you not the leader of the tribes of Israel? We know King Saul stood tall, a head above every man. He was a tall, good-looking, kingly type of guy who had no self-confidence. It's there. Although you think little of yourself. So his insecurity caused him to have a lack of faith. What should we take away from that? Let us not allow our character flaws to cause us to miss what God is doing. Oh, but you know, like, I'm just really not that confident. Shut up. Don't speak like that to yourself. I'm sorry, I'm not being rude. I'm just like, no, no, you've got to stop that. Don't allow your character flaws to cause you to have lack of faith and miss what God's inviting you into. And too many people make excuses, don't show up, and that actually affects the rest of us. Because we're supposed to do this together. So although you think little of yourself, are you not the leader? 
Has not God spoken to you? Has not God called you his son or his daughter? Has not God given you all the inheritance of heaven at your disposal? There's a really harsh part in this message. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it because I haven't got time. So I'm going to share it and then I'm going to move on. Because you've got to read the full story. King Saul admits to Samuel in verse 24, look, yeah, I did disobey. Sorry about that. I was afraid of the people, actually, and what they were saying, what they were thinking. I did what they demanded. Man, gossip was a hassle back then, too. Please forgive me and come back with me. Samuel says, no. As Sam, verse 27, here it is. This is, the, this is the smack on the cheek for us. As Samuel turned to go, Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. Samuel said to him, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. There's a tearing away of mantles that's happening right now in this season. And the Lord is shifting and replacing mantles of authority, kingdom mantles. And it's not going the way we thought. And it's not going the direction we thought. And some people don't even know what's happening. But literally, God said to me this week, I am the Lord and I will tear away what cannot be contained or carried. And I have already chosen. As he said to Saul, I've already chosen one after my own heart. And I'm reading that this week and I'm like, this applies to all of us, me included. Please don't hear me say that I'm pointing the finger at you. I'm, I'm reading this personally and I'm praying through it this week as I prepare and, and I've had the... the um, the pleasure of, oh, I had the luxury really of time in the car because I went to visit family in the Hawke's Bay. So I've got three and a half hours there and three and a half hours back. That's seven hours prayer time that I don't usually get in a week. And I'm, I'm like, Lord, you're the one who gives a mantle and you're the one who can take it away. And he said to me, yeah, I will choose those who know me. Yikes, yikes, yikes. But when we turn the page, we find David. Because Saul got squeezed and revealed, but didn't repent. So therefore, they couldn't, the Lord couldn't heal him. Because the Lord can heal whomever he wants, but he chooses to limit himself to those who repent in order that they might receive his healing. Saul apologized but never repented and repeated the mistake. I'm not going to dive into the old King David later, but let's talk about Bathsheba and, and, and find a man who chooses to repent. Not today's message. David 
as a young boy in the backfield looking after sheep, pretty much not on the radar of his family. God says to the prophet Samuel, go to the house of Jesse and there I will cause you to anoint the future king of Israel for he is a man after my own heart. The man of God turns up to your house, you know something special has happened. First Samuel chapter 16, you can read the story. When they arrived, Samuel took one look at Eliab and thought, because he's the eldest, he's the preferred, he's the assumed one, the logical choice, because he's the firstborn. Surely this is the Lord's anointed, and the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height, for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. God doesn't do things that suit us. God doesn't always do what we expect or prefer. And sometimes I've got to admit, the mystery of how God works is way above my pay grade. But the Lord chooses, this is what I do know, and I said this before, the Lord chooses those whom he knows. What do we take from that? Be someone that the Lord knows. Be someone who has a heart after the Lord's own heart. David, time again in Scripture, is recognized by God as a man who has a heart after God. Well, there's your answer. All you've got to worry about is having a heart after God. Anyway, punchline is David gets anointed. Amongst his brothers, the Spirit of God came upon him from that day. Let me, let me just quickly show you the end of the story because then I want to come back to what it means for us. There's a contrast I want to do here, but we're talking about David, so, so let's, let's, let's just let's go to the end of the story in First Samuel chapter 17, which is where the end of what I want to do today. Because we've got the story of Goliath. I mean, how many people had Goliath read to them as a child? Multiple times. You know, lots of us. If you, if you weren't raised in a Christian home, you probably heard about this. David and Goliath as a cliche or a, or, a, or a saying. Hopefully by now you've read it in the Bible. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 17. There's your homework. Goliath, Philistine giant, nine foot tall, arms the size of our legs and a spear like you wouldn't want to face. He's defying God. David turns up. Jesse says, hey, take some bread and some cheese to your brothers, will you? They're in the battle. So he leaves the field, leaves the sheep with another shepherd, it says in verse 20, and he goes to the battlefield. Phil said in the prayer meeting this morning, Phil Brown said, you can't have a victory without a battle. So we're singing, I can see a victory. We can sing, I raise a hallelujah, but unless you turn up to the battle, you ain't getting no victory. You can't have a victory if you stay hidden. So all of you that are hiding, and I'm looking into the camera now, 
don't stay hidden. Because you can't get your victory if you're hiding. And hiding is not about a geography, by the way. Hiding is a condition of the heart. It's an attitude, a a perspective. Because there's people in here that are hiding. You know what the Lord said to me this morning as I was praying through this? He says, the problem with people hiding is the only voice in the battle is the voice of the enemy. When people are hiding, the only voice in the battle is the voice of the enemy. It's in the story. We've got to turn up. We've got to turn up. David turns up. And we did a fantastic job. I mean, that was a punchline. That worship set was really the punchline. And we see it in David. Because David says, I'm going. I'll do it. And I'm going to turn up as I am. I'm skipping a lot. And he comes before. This is, I love this. He walks out. Verse 41. So if you're following the story, 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 41 Goliath walks out towards David with a shield bearer, sneering in contempt at this ruddy-faced boy. Am I a dog? He roars at David that you come at me with a stick. And he cursed David by the names of his gods. Come over here and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals, Goliath yells. David replied to the Philistine, you come to me with sword spear and javelin but I come to you in the name of the lords of heaven's armies the God of the armies of Israel whom you have defied today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut off your head and I will give the dead bodies of your men to the birds and the wild animals and the whole world will know there is a God in Israel everybody assembled here will know that the Lord rescues his people but not with sword and spear. This is the Lord's battle, and he will give you to us. How's that a proclamation of faith? Standing before your giant. As you stand before your opposition, knowing it's going to squeeze you, knowing it's going to reveal some stuff, there's your answer to have the faith in the spirit of a young ruddy boy called David who said, you will no longer defy my God. I will stand here, and today he's going he's to conquer you. Come on. There's the faith we need. That's the faith we were just singing about. That's the hallelujah. We were just standing and declaring and speaking out to the spirit realm around us that the enemy who's defying the name of the God and the promises he's given us will no longer be the only voice in the battle. We have to rise up with the faith of David. We've got to overcome it. And everybody looked ambivalent. Come on. It's not my faith that's getting you through your battle. I'm praying for you, but it's not my faith that's going to cause the giant to fall. It's your faith. It's your faith. And we've got to rise up. So David is our example. Saul is a zit and needs to be forgotten about. David is a mighty man of faith. But the reality is, You can sit there and you can listen to the message and you can read the story about David and you can not be like David. You can be part of the church, part of the people of God, but not like David. And we see this in the army. The Israelite army give us an example 
of who we might be even though we're in church? What's the giant you're facing, I wonder? What's the personal opposition that's in front of you that God says, hey, there's a zit and I want to squeeze it to get the ugly out so I can bring my healing. But when you face an enemy, sometimes its voice is louder than yours. David turns up at the battlefield. Verse 21. So I'm now I'm going back to show you three different enemies that, that some of you are facing so we can see how to overcome them. Because we've got to call them out. If your enemy's got a name, speak to it. Command it in faith as David did to Goliath. First giant that the enemy, the army faced. It says in verse 21, the Israelites and Philistines stood together facing each other, army against army. David left his things and he had a look. Verse 24, as soon as the Israelite army saw Goliath, they began to run away in fear. Some people right now in this town are facing the giant fear. We've been coming against it in prayer. We've been interceding for this town and this nation. Anxiety, depression, and fear is running rife at the moment. And it's spiritual. It's not practical. It's spiritual. There is, an, there is an opposition against us that stands in our face and defies what God has said, and we've got to rise up. Fear will conquer you if you don't allow God to win your victory. Because the army stood there, and they stood there. And every day they ran away because they allowed fear to control their proclamation. And they were silent before the enemy. The other um, enemy that I, I found in the story that I thought was relevant was way down in verse 28. David's oldest brother, Eliab, heard David talking and he was angry. He says, what are you doing here anyway? What are the, where are those sheep you're supposed to be taking care of? And I felt like there's an enemy, and I've just called it doubt. It's a questioning. It's a doubt in the midst of a situation, and it causes families to be divided. Because this is his brother, accusing him of being proud, pride, proudful and, and deceitful. You just want to see the battle. We stand in the midst of doubt, and we allow doubt to overcome us. We allow doubt to shrink us. We become insecure like Saul, and Saul is a zit. Don't be like Saul. Doubt is the enemy of faith. How do you turn around doubt as an enemy? You just use faith. And if you don't have faith, borrow someone's until you've got your own. Come and stand with someone that will pray with you and agree with you and, and believe with you. And faith rubs off. But you need to have faith to see victory. Doubt will destroy you in the battle. Finally, the last uh, enemy is actually at the beginning of the story, well, it's referenced at the beginning of the story, but it runs the entire way through the story, which is why David rises to the front. It says in verse 16, 1 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, for 40 days, every morning and evening, the Philistine strutted in front of them. And we know that every day, the army of God 
heard the cries of the enemy and ran away in fear. So what is the third giant that some people are facing? It's paralysis. Paralysis is a byproduct of fear because we're afraid, we have doubt, we just do nothing. And paralysis is actually something that leads to disobedience. Paralysis. So we've got to overcome fear, we've got to overcome doubt, and we've got to overcome paralysis. And David has already shown us how to do that. You cast out fear with perfect love. Love. David said to the soldiers in verse 26, what will a man get for killing this Philistine and ending his defiance of Israel? Who is this pagan that he is allowed to defy the armies of the living God? We should be standing and expecting God's love to be poured into us when we're obedient and faithful. Now, this is not a a message of blessing, a prosperity blessing message. This is a message about expectation. Because if you're not expecting God to turn up and do what he promised, he's not going to. So I believe David had such a relationship with God that he fully anticipated that God would turn up and give him reward for being faithful in his moment of challenge. He expected it because he saw God as a loving father. So a loving father is what casts out fear, standing before God and be willing to receive his goodness. And, I, and, and one of the things that I always do when I'm ministering with people, first and foremost, is before getting to the point of releasing what God's got for them is dealing with the disbelief that they don't deserve it, that they're not worthy. Because that robs us. We've got to find a way into the loving embrace of a father. How do you overcome doubt? Faith. Faith. Verse 32, don't worry about the Philistine, David said. I'll fight him. What about verse... Um, 40, 46, today the Lord will conquer you and I will kill you and cut your head off. What's that? Faith. How do you overcome doubt? Faith. How do you get faith? Repeat the promises of God. Stand with other people and pray and decree and declare and agree with what God has already said and faith will rise because faith is a gift that God gives you when you position yourself to receive it. The third and final giant that people are facing is paralysis, meaning do nothing. Do nothing. Do nothing leads to disobedience. What does David show us? Verse 48. As Goliath moved closer to attack, David quickly ran out to meet him. What's the, what's the solution for paralysis? Is obedient action obedient action. And this comes right back to making sure you're asking the right questions because many of you are making mistakes or waiting or you're paralyzed or you don't know what to do next because you're waiting for God to answer and you're asking the wrong question because God already told you. And if you're not going to do what he's already told you, he's not going to give you something else to do. Paralysis can be overcome by obedient action. So we've got a choice. You know, I do believe in the spirit of um, David that we were um, declaring and yelling and jumping up and down with before is absolutely ripe for us right now. That David, who was a young boy, but chose to stand against the enemy who was defying God's name. And he chose to run into the battle in faith and see God win the victory ahead of him. That's what we need to receive today. 
choose to take God's word, to make it part of us and say, God, if I've been full of fear, I repent. God, if I've been full of doubt, I repent. And if I've been paralyzed and not doing what you've said, then I repent for that. And that's the process of God squeezing the zip so the ugly can come out. And by ugly, I just mean stuff that's not of God. Because when the ugly comes out, he can bring healing. He wipes away every tear of your eye. He wipes away sickness. He wipes away weakness. He wipes away all the spiritual baggage. He wipes away all the emotional baggage over time. And he brings healing. But without the squeezing, you can't have the healing. So today I pray that you got something from the story of Saul and David and the comparison and contrast of the two, that we understand that there is an enemy we face that's defying us. There is an enemy that is defying not just us, but God. And if we don't turn up to the battle, then the only voice in the fight is the enemy who defies God's name. This is not a time for Christians to be silent, ambivalent, or paralyzed. But it's a time for us to rise up. And in that, I want to close with a promise God gave me. Because I'm like, preparing this, and I'm like, oh, yeah, yeah, God, you better have some good news at the end. And of course he does. So whatever your giant is, whether it's financial, whether it's business, whether it's relational, whether it's uh, emotional, mental health, whether it's depression and anxiety, whether it's relationship issues, whether it's business issues or decisions you've got to make, or it's uh, family issues or, you know, a disagreement with someone, God wants you to stand in faith knowing that he loves you as a son or a daughter. He wants you to have the faith in what he's already said, and he wants you to be obedient in action so that you can move forward and overcome your giant. And here is the promise that I will close with. So why don't you stand to receive this? It's a scripture. We read some of it before, but I'm going to read from Ezekiel chapter 36. And this is my benediction of blessing. This is my blessing for you. So Ezekiel 36 Verses 22 to 27, I, I, I was asking God, come on God, give me something nice at the end that the people can receive. Because he does, he does want us to hear his word, he wants us to be corrected by his word, but he wants us to be built up and encouraged by his word. All of it, not just the nice parts. This is the nice part. Therefore, God says, Ezekiel 36 verse 22, receive this as the blessing. Give the people of Israel this message from the sovereign Lord. I'm bringing you back. Not because you deserve it. Oh, ouch. I'm doing it to protect my holy name on which you brought shame while you were scattered among the nations. I will show how holy my name is, the name on which you brought shame. And when I reveal my holiness through you before the people, says the Lord, then the nations will know that I am the Lord. For I will gather you up from all the nations and I will bring you home again to your land. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. Your filth will be washed away and you will no longer worship idols. And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender, responsive heart. And I will put my spirit in you so that you will follow my decrees and be careful to obey my regulations. Almighty God, today we receive your word. 
Lord, may, may your word come into our heart like seed, and may you nurture it as the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray for each situation here that a personal, relevant, timely word for each one will be received. Lord, that we would know that we can come to you and repent of our error, repent of our lack of faith, and you will restore us and you will lift us up and you will lead us into victory. God, we don't profess to be perfect, but may we profess to be humble, humble before you. So God, as we go, we go together, we go into what you've declared for us, and even if we can't see it tomorrow, we believe what you've said to us. And we have faith in your word and who you are as almighty God. I bless each family that calls Zion home, everyone that's connected with us via the live stream and the messages and whenever, God, may they know the goodness of God, the nearness of God, and the grace of God. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed our message and it inspired you. Stay connected and get amongst our family. Find us on Facebook, YouTube, or our app. We are Zion people.